Live from Utrecht, this is Bitcoin Explained. Hello. Hey, Shors. What's up? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm on my... I'm. We're still in Utrecht, as I just said, but only for a couple more days. I'm on my way back to El Salvador, essentially, for a couple of conferences. And I think you're going to be traveling as well. Uh, hopefully, if it's warmer. And if the COVID situation allows it. Well, wherever the COVID situation allows it. So anyways, the, the reason I mentioned that is because we are recording this episode probably, you know, we're, re- we're recording this episode ahead of time. We're recording this episode probably at least two weeks before it's actually published. Yep. And we're going to discuss a threat from the Bitcoin development mailing list that was uh, published a couple of weeks ago. That's right. So by the time people are listening to this, they are going to be hearing a discussion on a threat that's at least a month old. But it's good. Uh, you need to be reminded yeah. occasionally of the things that are important. And besides, last episode, I think we talked about something from three months ago. So, Yeah, if you want fresh content, Bitcoin Explained is not the place for you. But if you want exciting and interesting and and content and from the top expert in the space, Shos Provost and Bitcoin Explained is perfect. If you want it translated by the top <laughs> journalist in the space, then Bitcoin Explained is also oh, perfect. Stop it. Okay. All right, sure, enough enough about that. Let's get to the point. We are going to be discussing a threat. Do you have a name of the thread in front of you? That's right. It's called Death to the Mempool, Long Live the Mempool. Right. It's a proposal to basically abolish the mempool, right? Yeah. So let's uh, get... Who, who started the threat? Uh, have- Nifty Nate. She's a, uh, she's a Sea Lightning developer. Yeah. Uh, Blockstream. Now, we don't really know whether this, this proposal is super serious or more of a th- thought thought exercise, but it, it resulted in a very interesting discussion. At- right. Yeah. When I first, when I saw the thread, it felt a little bit like homework. It felt a little bit like you're ma- like an exam where the teacher says, all right, why don't we redesign Bitcoin to get rid of the mempool and well, we'll explain what the exact proposal is. And then you as the student have to sort of figure out why that's not a good idea. That's That was sort of my first reading. That's sort of what it did with my brain. Yeah, and it, and it, then, it helps you remind you why this mempool is useful in the first place. Right, exactly. Um, the interesting thing for me was, you know, I, I could figure out, you know, one or two reasons why I didn't, you know, like the proposal, but then the threads kept going for a while with more reasons and counter arguments, and it became more interesting than I sort of anticipated at first, I would say. Yeah, and, and also lots of semi-related um, interesting proposals, for example, by Zeman, uh, ZMN, SCP, XJ, the pseudonymous. Okay, so Shosh, let's let's just get into it. Yep. Uh, f- first question, what is a mempool? So the mempool, and we, we talked about the mempool in, uh, at least in episodes 19, 26, and 38. I don't know if you want to listen to those. Uh, the mempool is a place where it's Bitcoin It's incredible how live. you remember all of our episodes just from the top of your head. Absolutely. That's how a, wizard, that's how a wizard's brain works. So, so basically, um, well, transactions go into blocks, but before they go into blocks, um, they have to be proposed somehow. And the way people propose transactions is just to send them to everybody and everyone. And then every node has a list of transactions that are not yet in a block, probably about 300 megabytes worth of those, depending on uh, on the 
on the mempool weather, as people would call it. Um, and this is generally kept in memory, though, as this, um, as Eric Voskald pointed out in the mailing list, it doesn't have to be done in memory. Uh, his Bitcoin client, LibBitcoin, uh, keeps it all on disk. It doesn't really matter. I mean, the way he would describe it... You could probably it, store it in your memory. No, I have actually quite a bad <laughs> No, memory. no, we, we've noticed, Shores, your memory is... Anyways, go on. So so basically, I mean, what, what he would say is you can... All these transactions that are proposed transactions, you can just put them on a disk and then you can say, okay, here's a block and the block points to all these transactions now. That, that's essentially what a block is. Just points to all these transactions and then you're done. Um, so yeah, um, I guess that's the mempool. Yeah, that last part about how Libitcoin works was a little bit of a sidestep, but in general, the mempool is just a collection of transactions that nodes keep and that miners, well, keep and forward to other nodes, just the nodes that are sort of propagated over the network. And then miners use their... Every node has its own mempool, and then the miners use their mempool to select the transactions which they're going to mine on and hopefully become the new block. Yeah, but in general, um, you know, most of the transactions that are in your mempool will eventually be in a block, and that's kind of important for the discussion ahead. So what is the problem? Well, there's, there's many well, problems. Well, what, what is the problem that this mailing list thread seek to address and wanted to solve? Uh, well, one problem is bandwidth. So at least the, the, as it was explained, like sending all these transactions around all the time to all your peers uses up quite a bit of bandwidth. Uh, and the second is that, and that's I think what we covered in uh, in episode thirty eight. We there was a we discussed then there was a bug in Bitcoin Core with the uh, how the, the way RBF replaced by fee was implemented, and then we tried to explain how that impacted Lightning in in unpleasant ways, and we failed to explain how that impacted Lightning because it is very complicated, and this complexity is the problem. So it is very difficult for people, especially working on things like Lightning, to make the protocol safe against all the little gotchas that exist in this mempool. Uh, the mempool is uh, looks very simple, as we just described it, but there's lots of intricate details that you really have to understand. And if you don't understand those correctly, then what could happen is you try to broadcast a transaction, for example, to take money back from your channel because somebody cheated on you on the channel. And then that other person can do some some shenanigan, put some other transaction in the mempool or lots of transactions in the mempool, and all of a sudden, your your transaction never gets confirmed, and theirs does. And uh, this is very difficult to reason about, and so that's why the suggestion was, why don't we just get rid of the mempool? Yeah, I think the heart of the problem, which you just explained, is that uh, sometimes it's important that your transaction actually makes it in the mempool at least, but there are restrictions on how big everyone's mempool can be because everyone has to do that and that just requires resources. So there's a cap on that, but because of that cap, that means your transaction can't always get in and that opens the door to niche types of attacks and we're not going to get into that in detail, but that's yeah, sort of the and it, short it's worse than it. just It's worse than just having a cap on the size of the mempool. There's all sorts of rules. Like if, if 100 transactions are related to each other, and you want to replace one of those 100 transactions, then that can cause problems too. So it's, yeah. It's there, there are a number of limitations that sort of ensure that nodes, you know, don't get overloaded, but these limitations then open the door to potential weaknesses or attacks. Yeah. That's, that's a very short And this is also, of course, an incentive problem, really, because 
the incentive for things like Lightning is to you know be secure for the users of the Lightning channels. But the incentives for the people running a node, well, they're they're just having that mempool there altru partially altruistically. Um, they have slightly different incentives. They don't want to get overloaded, um, but their incentive is not to protect the Lightning network. And this this can this can cause some friction because the yeah the incentives are slightly different. Okay, so what we've now ex we've now explained in our great podcast Bitcoin explains what the mempool is and what the issues with it are in some circumstances, and then this thread offered a solution. So what was the solution that was proposed? Well, get rid of the mempool. Get rid of the mempool altogether. Yeah. And of course, that immediately poses a question. Uh, if I have a transaction and I wanted to get it in a block, but there is no mempool, well, then what do I do? Do I just scream on the, on the streets? I mean, in a way, that's actually how it works now. You're just screaming it to the network. So we're yeah, that's correct. Screaming to the streets is to the streets is probably not an upgrade. But they proposed, why not just send your transaction directly to a miner? Exactly. Right? Because miners, that's the one that actually needs the transactions. They're the main one, in a way, the only ones, but definitely the main ones that need a transaction because they're the ones creating blocks. So why don't we create a system where we send the transactions directly to miners, right? Yeah. And of course, that brings the question of, well, probably to a mining pool, not to an individual miner. But still the question then is, well, who are the miners? How many are there? Where do you send the transactions? And where are they? Yeah, and do we want to send them to their home address uh, by envelope, or how do, how are we going to do that? And and so the proposal there was to say, well, let's uh, we want to preserve miner anonymity. That was still a goal, and the way it could be done is miners could publish a onion service, so a Tor service, a hidden service, like a dark website, I guess. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and to this dark website quote-unquote, you send your transaction. Automatically, of course, your wallet might have a list of 100 different miners, and it would just send the transaction to all 100 of them. That would be the idea. Yeah, so if you're a miner, or maybe we should say more specifically, actually, if you're a mining pool, because that's sort of the point, that yeah. a lot of the transactions, a lot of the blocks, all of the blocks, essentially, I think, are currently mined by mining pools. And as long as that sort of a as long as there's a manageable manageable number of mining pools, then you can get all of their addresses and send it to them directly. Yeah, that's the you know that's the proposal. Uh, when but, I say addresses, like you mentioned, it's like a Tor address. It's, it's, it's yeah, a hidden like surface. A, like a hidden time. surface. Yeah. So so this poses a problem or a number of problems. Um, Are we ready to get into the problems? Was this this was. The I proposal, think so. right? Well, I think oh, we yeah. captured the essence of the proposal. Rather yeah. than having a mempool, rather than having every node on the network transmit every transaction to a, everyone else, to every other node, rather, you know, as a user sending your transaction just to the Bitcoin network, instead, you'll send them to a number of mining pools. Yeah, and, and one thing you can do there also is you can have, since you have a communication channel with the miner anyway, you can ask what fees they want, you know, rather than guessing. Um, that could be an advantage or not, but that's another possibility. Um, so this gives you a little bit better. I mean, the reason why this might be useful is it gives you better privacy against the whole network. So if, you, if you're doing something with your transaction, 
uh, others won't might not know about it until it's confirmed, and this makes it more difficult for the other side to start playing tricks that exploit some some weird aspect of the mempool to to cause problems for you. Yeah, but I think that the main reason for this, if I'm understanding this correctly, is simply that presumably mining pools have more resources available to just store whatever transactions are sent to them. So we don't have to be as limited with the resources. That, that could, uh, yeah, I guess that's that's another argument, and, right? And that's sort of how you solve the problem that we discussed when we started recording this podcast. Is that yeah. is that sort of the short way of? I, I guess one way to put it is, yeah, there's a lot of these intricate rules about the mempool that are because it's has to be somewhat small and resource uh, careful with resources. And yeah, if you have giant resources, uh, a 10 gigamec uh, computer, then you can have fewer subtle rules and therefore the whole system is a bit more predictable. Yeah, miners have a clear financial incentive to actually have that, to actually yeah. have that sort of resources. Yeah, because they're, they're investing pretty heavily anyway, especially a pool, right? It's not even a single miner. Yeah, and they want to earn the fees that will, yeah. you know, that'll win if they set up these sorts of resources. So, problems. Uh, problems. Def- I, I want to point one... There, we're not going to follow the order of the thread obviously but one thing that's uh maybe important to notice at first is it's not an option actually as a user to send your transaction just to one miner and then have the miners share it with each other yeah that's right that's not incentive compatible because if you send it to one miner that one miner will have an incentive to just keep that transaction for itself so that miner from now on, when we say miner, we mean mining pool, I yeah. think, in general. Just That's assume right. that if we say miner, it's mining pool. Every individual miner pool will have an incentive to not share the transaction. They want to keep the transaction for themselves, so that way they will be the ones that mine it. Yeah. So really, you do need in this system to be able to send your transaction to all miners. Yeah, because otherwise, you have to wait forever. Right? right. If you only send it to one miner, and then, well they'll only get a block once. Let's say if the pool has 5% of the hash power, then it's going to take 20 blocks for you to get confirmed statistically, and that's even assuming that your fee is high enough. So so then I think the idea. next problem from there is how do you figure out who are all the miners and how to reach all of them, right? Yeah, well, we, we could hire Vitalik again, and uh, he could make a list and say these are the miners. Why Vitalik? Because we trust him. Okay, fair enough. Just to illustrate, that may not be an optimal uh, solution. Uh, we'd rather not have a centralized list, obviously. And, of course, um, the proposal didn't really go into that, but uh, I'm pretty sure they, they would agree with that with that constraint. So then the question is, how would you go about... Wait, what's the problem with the centralized list? Well, somebody is in charge of it. So they can tell miners they have to pay a fee in order to join that list. Um, yeah, or they can tell miners you're only getting on the list if you censor these transactions. Exactly. For example. Oh, we've done another episode about mining pool censorship. Right. Um, so having a centralized list is not an option no. because you know you, you basically completely defeat the point of Bitcoin itself if you yeah. have a centralized list. So another option would be to just allow sort of a gossiping of these mining pools. So there's a, a new maybe a new peer-to-peer message. And every every node would tell every other node about every pool it knows about. Problem there is how do you stop spam? Because you know I could spin yeah, up this, a node and, and broadcast a million different uh, potential mining pools. Yeah, this sounds a little bit like um, our previous episode That's where right. we indeed discussed how nodes right now gossip 
IP addresses of other Bitcoin nodes. And then they would do the same thing with the addresses for miners. And as we discussed in the last episode, this system was actually being attacked. Essentially, uh, well, it wasn't really a denial of service attack, but it was it was still a brutal attack, as we discussed. Yeah. So th this would open up that possibility if you have to gossip. And the impact of an attack is much worse. Because with if you're just talking about gossiping the address of peers... Uh, you only need to connect to one honest peer in order to get the right blockchain, right? So it doesn't you don't, the gossip doesn't have to be very good as long as you at least have one connection that actually leads you to an honest note, then you're fine. Uh, but not so with the mining pools, because as we just talked about, you really should be sending your, your transactions to every pool out there. So if there are a million uh, potential pools being gossiped about, you have to essentially just try all million of them, or at least you have to keep trying them until you have until you think you have most of the hash power, uh, just aside from the question of how you would know that you have much most of the hash power. Um, so there has to be some limit on this on this gossip mechanism. And the question is, how how would you do that limit? Well, there was a sub... So this mailing list thread... But by limit, you mean not everyone should be able to publish any address, yeah. essentially, right? But we also you... don't want the limit to be set by an authority, so there has to be some sort of neutral limit. Um, or there has to be some cost. And so Zeman, um, you know... Uh, Zeman. Zeman uh, pronounced, uh, written uh, Z-M-N-S-C-P-X-J, but he, he's fine with uh, being called uh, Zeman and with, with being called he. Um, he said, well, we, we could have some sort of staking involved. And this is not proof of stake. So it is not... You don't have to have a stake in order to mine, but you would have to prove that you own some sort of... some small amount of Bitcoin in order for your uh, pool to be gossiped about. So it's just about being gossiped about, and then you can prioritize a little bit by, you know, by who's staking enough coins. So that could work. It's more complicated, but it could work. Yo, what is going on, guys? We are proud to have Voltage as a sponsor of this episode. How many of you developers out there have wanted a streamlined infrastructure provider for your particular project? Well, I'll tell you what, Voltage is the Bitcoin infrastructure provider you have been looking for that makes building on Bitcoin quick and easy, whether it's Bitcoin nodes, Lightning nodes, BTC pay, and so much more. But don't take it from me. Just ask the guys over at Amboss, Sphinx, Podcast Index, and Thunder Games, and so many others that you guys already know and love. Their enterprise-grade products make it fast and easy to build, deploy, and scale your next project. So make it easy on yourself. Even normie plebs can use the dashboard or API. Don't wait before the next block confirmation. Let your team focus on building great products and let Voltage handle all the rest. Voltage is your go-to zero management Bitcoin infrastructure solution. Yo, what is going on, plebs? We're going to take a break from our programming to tell you about the resurrection of our print magazine, starting with the El Salvador issue. Starting this fall, Bitcoin Magazine will be available on newsstands nationwide and at retail stores such as Barnes & Noble. Don't want to get off your couch, though? No problem. You can also go to store.bitcoinmagazine.com. So skip the line and get each issue shipped directly to your front door with our annual subscription. I'm talking four issues a year that contain exclusive interviews and profiles with leading Bitcoiners, actionable insights on the state of the market, breaking news and cultural trends, along with powerful photos and artwork from the best artists in the world. Subscribe today and get 21% off using code podcast at checkout. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, podcast at checkout. 
I, I feel a bot coming. Well, I mean, it's more complicated than what we have now, right? Right now, you can just uh, everybody everybody can be a miner and just listen in. Now they have to stake some coins, and then some of the objections that were raised against that. One of them is that ideally you want miners to have very good privacy, um, and so you want them to constantly stake different coins so that between different blocks you can't see that it's the same pool or miner that you're dealing with. But if they have to constantly stake new coins, well, that's expensive. So now they're incentivized to have the same identity over a long period of time, and that's not very good. On the other hand, as he points out, um, miners are really bad at privacy right now anyway because they're all revealing uh, what pool they are, but they don't have to do that. Yeah, and I think the argument is there because that was also, I think, in the in the OP, in the original email, is this idea that, you know, the, the way Bitcoin currently works or the current topography of the network or at least you know the level of mining centralization means that in practice today yeah we only have 100 or whatever mining pools and they self-identify anyways so some of these arguments don't necessarily hold up against the current state of bitcoin like it's kind of similar however we're also designing bitcoin for a potential future where you know it, mining really is banned worldwide essentially and that's where privacy becomes very important and that's where you know a staking solution like you mentioned just now which potentially harms privacy could therefore potentially harm you know bitcoin uh, mining privacy and therefore bitcoin itself yeah so I, I think that's a key thing to take into account is that the way bitcoin is being designed is not for today but for a potential worse tomorrow yeah well, of course also for today but uh, there's another problem with this system. Well, we you say that. Well, I don't. I don't know if we want to go on a side quest on this particular topic. But should we? I don't know. It's kind of. I'll just mention very briefly that I actually don't think Bitcoin is being optimized for today. That's one of Paul Storch's arguments for sidechains, for example. That while we live in a environment and in a world and in a regulatory environment where Bitcoin is actually just allowed and legal, then. Um, optimizing it for adversarial conditions gives it a disadvantage against systems that are not optimized for adversarial conditions because they can be more efficient and fast and yeah. so you're, you're sort of losing some competitive edge in that environment but that's a yeah that makes sense i mean it depends on what what aspect of the protocol you're looking at right so there are already adversaries out there so lots of privacy improvements are already being made with the idea that there is there is there already are chain analysis of chain analytics companies out there so yeah that's true but at least not really for mining apart from the china i guess and you know the solution there should just migrate from china so we're really yeah. we're really sort of designing for a world where bitcoin mining is banned everywhere china everywhere as yeah. uh, as eric foscal actually literally explained it in the thread itself at yeah. some point you want to at least have that option to be able to exist in such a system yeah exactly so another downside here is that um, it's very tempting for wallets to say, well, I'm not going to send it to every miner out there, every new stake out there. I might look at the pie and only send to like whatever represents 80% of the mining capacity because maybe, you know, with 20% of the connections, you'll, you'll get your transaction to 80% of the miners. 
and that creates a problem for new miners. Yeah, the, the, reason, the reason for that is essentially because it's just a hassle to go and look for all of these small pools. It's much easier yeah. to just say, all right, if I get it to these 10 or these 5, then you know it's 90% of hash power and it will almost certainly confirm. Yeah, and uh, the wallet software is probably not going to do all this verification. It's probably going to be the wallet authors that put in a list, hard, a hard-coded list of, of common miners or common pools. So that's a problem, and uh, as Sipa Peter Weiler pointed out, this new pools could also be censored. So if you're trying to announce a new pool by staking some coins, then the existing miners could try to make sure that you never get to stake your coins. So there's there's also a risk there too that it becomes a right. Account. Yeah, that was an interesting argument. You're, but 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 let's take a small step back to the previous one. What was the previous one? That basically. Uh, wallets are have an incentive to only pick oh, a yeah. subset of the of the uh, pools, and so if you're starting a new pool, you're probably very small, so nobody's going to send you any transactions. Right, exactly. So you, if wallets, you know, out of convenience, prioritize the bigger pools, then it sort of locks these bigger pools in place, and it becomes much harder to you know compete with these pools, which is bad for you know again decentralization, for example, because these big pools can be regulated more easily, and if competition is more difficult than you, you know, it becomes harder to find your way out of such a centralized solution. And then the one after that, see, my mem my memory is the worst. What was the one that you said after that? Uh, censorship by other miners. Oh yeah. So yeah. The, so uh, yeah. So, uh, so Zeman was going on this sort of, um, you know, thought experiment. Let's assume that we really want to do this. Then what are the ways to do that? And then one of the ways, which we just described is to use staking as a you know anti denial of service type of solution but then you need the existing miners to allow the stake to be confirmed on the blockchain yep which they have an incentive not to do of course because that's also a way to keep the competition out so yeah, yeah that was that was an interesting and I'm, I'm sure you could continue that conversation to come up with a system that prevents even that censorship etc but you know, it's it's still a can of worms that you're opening, and, and you know, we're, we're this whole proposal serves to close one can of worms, but as we're starting to discover now, it, the proposal is opening another, <laughs> several other cans of worms. So the the net number of worms might actually go up <laughs> if we do this. I um, prefer less worms, but I think we're gonna see even more worms or not. Yes. So so one of the arguments that was used to advocate this proposal was bandwidth, and it may be good to point out that. Um, in reality, what happens is there, there's a lot of bandwidth to sort of gossip about which transactions exist, uh, which is done using short identifiers. But the actual transactions themselves are usually only sent once. So your node gets a bunch of IDs and it's like, okay, give me the transactions that I don't know yet. And so that only happens once. And then... Yeah, these are like recent um, improvements or what... Yeah, I don't know what recent means for multiple years, but... Well, at least it wasn't there from the start. Uh, yeah. Optimizations and also some optimizations moving ahead because it used to be the case indeed that every transaction was sent over the whole network and then a block was found and then the block full of all of these transactions was sent over the network as well. Well, that's the second part of this. So the, the transactions themselves are only sent once, um, but also indeed every block is sent without the transactions in it. At least if you're using this, uh, your node will probably do that using this compact block idea where the compact block just says, here's the header of the block and here's the list of transactions that are in the block. 
you already have these transactions, so you can construct a block locally. You don't have to get them from me. And if you are missing any of the transactions, just ask. And in practice, that means the blocks are propagated really, really quickly. Yeah. So there's two benefits. It costs less bandwidth, which is, you know, a resource and therefore it doesn't, it costs less resource, which is a benefit. And it transmits over a network faster, which again is also, um, helps against pool centralization, which is another yes. topic, which I, I think we probably shouldn't get into that. But. And basically it's important to have very few orphans or stale blocks where, right, where if, if the block is still propagating around, then somebody else might also find a block at the same height. And that, that just increases the opportunity for double spends and it causes lost revenue for those miners. So it means it's better to be a big miner, etc. Now, if you want to talk fast about transmission is better. Yeah, if you want to talk about block propagation in general, how to get blocks across the network fast, there is a really good talk by Greg Maxwell from 2017 at the San Francisco Bitcoin Developer Meetup where he talks, it's called Advances in Block Propagation. I thought you were going to just, from the top of your head, mention another Bitcoin Explained episode. But... No, we, we could probably do a Bitcoin Explained episode, except that I would have to do like five weeks of reading just to catch up with everything he said in that one hour. And then it's, you know four years ago so who knows um so so anyway so the bandwidth argument is not as strong because it turns out there's already a lot of deduplications and we've talked about one episode uh where we, about how to do mempool even uh more efficient i forgot the name of it oh yeah oh i oh so you don't have a perfect memory yeah i forgot I, as well i told you i don't have perfect memory anyway so uh, that, was, that was mentioned too. So the bandwidth argument is not as strong. Plus, if bandwidth is a constraint for you, just, you know, don't don't relay transactions because you're free to turn that the mempool off on your own node. Um, so I think the, the main argument for the proposal was complexity, not bandwidth, but the bandwidth argument was not very strong. Um, I think, is uh, there more? I'm sure there's see, well, this, yeah, this is the point a, this is the point where it starts feeling like the the exam that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, no, let's there, see, let's a see how of, much of the thread we can remember. Well, uh, that's why I have notes. So there was a really nice uh, there's a couple of nice one-liners in this whole thread but I'll cite one by uh, Sipa. Um and this is about um normally everybody can see what's happening in a mempool, right? But in this proposal there is no mempool and and only select miners can see what's going on. And so he would say Replacing socialized transparency with a few who get to see the actual details. That actually doesn't sound as good as it is. But basically, yeah, you're, you know, everybody can see, normally everybody can see what's going on and now you can't see it. So, you know, you don't know whether there's any complexity, but there might be all sorts of mining shenanigans going on. You don't know if pools are colluding or not, or, you know, they have one view of the network, you have a different view of the network. So you would that prefer that everyone can just see what's going on with the mempool and the blocks rather than just a select group of yeah, miners. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So a couple of things uh, that were already also mentioned in the paper, there are proposals like BetterHash and Peter Pool, which are ways to get more mining pools or even to solo mine. Uh, but those proposals, you know, if everybody is solo mining or if, if mining pools get super, super small, that doesn't really work well with this, uh, what we just discussed, because then the list of, of, places where you'd have to send your transactions would be quite large. 
Yo, my fellow Bitcoin lovers, have I got something specifically curated for you. The Deep Dive is Bitcoin Magazine's premium markets intelligence newsletter. This isn't some pay group selling buy and sell signals. No, this is a premium Bitcoin analysis led by Dylan LeClaire and his team of analysts. They break down in an easily digestible way what is happening on chain in the derivatives markets and in the greater macro backdrop context for Bitcoin. This newsletter turns volatility into a joke. So hit up members.bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code podcast for 30% off the deep dive. That's members.bitcoinmagazine.com promo code podcast for 30% off. Divorce your pay group and learn why Bitcoin is the ultimate asset by Dylan and his team. My fellow plebs, the Bitcoin conference is back. Bitcoin 2022, April 6th through the 9th is the ultimate pilgrimage for the Bitcoin ecosystem. The Bitcoin conference is the biggest event in all of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're leveling up and making this bigger and better than ever. I'm talking straight to the moon with the four day long festival in the heart of Miami at the Miami Beach Convention Center. This has something for everyone. Whether you're a high-powered Bitcoin entrepreneur, a core developer, or a Bitcoin newbie, Bitcoin 2022 is the ultimate place for you to be with your people and celebrate and learn about the Bitcoin culture. So make sure to go to b.tc forward slash conference to lock in your official tickets and use promo code Satoshi for 10% off. Want more off? Pay in Bitcoin and you'll receive $100 off general admission and $1,000 off whale pass. Those are stackable. So go to b.tc forward slash conference and attend the best conference in Bitcoin history. Oh, I have another one. Yep. The fee estimation becomes harder because right now fee yep. estimation actually takes the mempool into account to determine how much fee, you know, a node will include in the next transaction that it creates. Yep. So if I'm going to be paying you, then my node will essentially look at the mempool as well as pass blocks. If my node doesn't have a mempool, then I can't use that for fee estimation. And therefore I might be overpaying in fees or yeah. waiting too long before my transaction finally confirms. Because the mempool makes it more difficult for miners to sort of cheat when it comes to fees. So what a miner could do is if they just compose the block themselves, they could put a bunch of transactions inside the block that pay really high fees, but it's just money moving from themselves to themselves. And the fee also goes to themselves. So then it looks like the fee is really high. But given that the mempool exists, if you do something like that, if you broadcast a transaction like that, it will get, um, you know, it'll get mined by your competitors. So it's a transaction from you to yourself, but the fee goes to your competitors. So it's very expensive to lie about the fees. Um, in general, of course, one of the things that was mentioned, and we already mentioned the form of it at least, which was uh, sort of uh, that your wallet might not have the incentive to look for smaller pools. The same is true even if your wallet does have the incentive or even if you do try, then even then there's going to be new miners joining the network and a very new miner might not be included in the list yet. Or, you know, there's a delay between joining the network and getting accepted by, you know, letting people know that you're accepting transactions while right now on Bitcoin, you just plug in and be ready from the get-go. Yeah. Um, well, we already talked about centralization in general, right? And as a reminder, why centralization could be bad. If there's just uh, 50 pools or 10 pools, then creates very clear denial of service targets. So DDoS targets, like who, you know, if an attacker wants to take out certain nodes using any of the attacks we've previously talked about 
um, well, they know which nodes to focus their attack on. Whereas right now, if you look at the network, at least naively, any node could be a miner. So you have no idea which Bitcoin node to attack to actually bother a miner. Um, so it's kind of nice that the miners can hide out in the crowd in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah you kind of want to look, want every node to look the same. You want every node to look like a peer on the network and then some of these peers might be mining. And there are ways to de-anonymize that already. That was also mentioned in the thread. You know, you can sort of analyze to see where new blocks emerge on the network and then that's Roughly, presumably yeah. miners but you know but it's still if, a bit probabilistic we... probabilistic because you're not listening to all nodes at the same time and yeah. there's some tricks and, in and it. i'm sure we can think of future optimizations to decrease that problem as well um you know then the lion that kind of stuff you can maybe do that for blocks I don't know. that's a yeah. tangent so i can bring up one more little tangent that was brought up that was interesting from this discussion that's not really a, a upside or a downside is but, this the MISC part of the podcast? Yeah, but it's it's the subset of the MISC part of the podcast. <laughs> All right. And this is that right now nodes, you know, they have some some interest. For the most part, you're relaying altruistically, but there is some self-interest, right? There is the self-interest of being able to calculate fees, for example, like, um, right? And there's a self-interest of making sure blocks are propagated fast because that makes it less likely that your confirmations get canceled. So So that's all good. Um, but it would be nice if there was a more direct way to make money from being a, a note a, a relayer. And what Zeman proposes roughly is that each node could try and compose packages of transactions, look at the mempool and basically construct packages that are economically efficient because it's actually a mathematically a quite a hard problem to make the most optimal block uh, given a set of transactions. If you have 300 megabytes of transactions to actually select them in a way that you maximize your revenue. And so you could outsource that computational difficulty task to individual nodes and they would send you package proposals. And in exchange for a good proposal, you would get paid. Now, this is very hand wavy because there's all sorts of things like how would you actually do this? But it was a cool idea. I lost a plot on that one. Hopefully the lizards did not. Well, it's okay if you did. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's that's roughly the whole discussion that we did. So... Uh, you should give it a read. Uh, yeah, I hope I hope we passed our exam. I hope our listeners paid attention for when they get the exam. Uh, yeah, we, exactly. we probably forgot some things. Um, you know, if, if you're really interested in this stuff, obviously check out the thread itself. It kept going for a while and there were some uh, surprisingly interesting insights. Uh, some I hope we conveyed, but uh, we probably forgot at least one or two. All right. So you got anything else then? Um, no, I'll see you in, uh, I guess, a month from now or something like that. Who knows? Thank you for listening to Bitcoin Explained.